Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Anybody here happy to see the snow? One person? Okay, there's one person happy to see the snow. God bless you. God bless you for being happy to have the snow. Does that mean all the rest of us are not happy to see the snow? I know there's somebody somebody from Jamaica here. <laughs> it's her first time she saw snow. First time. And so um, I'm not going to embarrass her. I've already looked over her direction, so I'm not going to do it again. And when we came to the church, she's just sitting at the window looking at the snow. Isn't that nice? I don't blame her. It's beautiful. We live in a beautiful country, a beautiful country that we rejoice in the uh, privilege we have to have, I guess I can leave all that behind me, the privilege we have of this country, what diversity we have, uh, the diversity of the seasons, and so now it comes into the snow season, and but if you don't like it, as I said to someone, if you don't like it, well then probably Canada is not the place for you. Uh, this, this is Canada, we have snow, but we also have amazing summers, we have the most beautiful of springs. Uh, when the flowers come forth and the leaves start to come out of the trees, and it's just the most amazing thing, and then and then the fall time, I don't think there's, I don't know, I haven't traveled all over. Um, I think this has to be probably one of the most beautiful nations because of our maple trees that brilliantly just, you know, shed their leaves and turn colors and we can really enjoy our season. So I praise God for that. I praise God for our country, our, our land. And uh, yes, we should preserve our land. We need to be conscious that we are good caretakers. That's been given to us, be good caretakers of what God has given us. This is his creation. And uh, we are the stewards of his creation. We are the workers in his vineyard. So it's important that we look after his vineyard with the same pride as we would if it was your own personal garden. Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation. Go to the last chapter. Revelation, go to the last chapter. We have been on a journey of following John to the heart of Jesus, so we have up in front of you here QR code. QR code allows you to, uh, allows you to get some notes from today, so you can just click on that QR code, download it. It's yours, available. We, um, this is week 15 of our series. We started at the beginning of June. I was just uh, reminiscing over the journey that we have been on. This is the last of the series of following John to the heart of Jesus. We were not doing a verse by verse. We were really examining a man's journey in his faith because that's really us. I think it best defines me, my journey and my discovery of Christ. And so we've really wanted to follow. And of course, that's been made available. If you haven't been a part of that in the times past, go into our website, auroracornerstone.ca. Go to... Um, sermons that it's in podcast and uh, made available in podcast. You just go to uh, where I believe it's called Following John to the Heart of Jesus. We've been in the book of Revelation. It's our fifth session in the book of Revelation, the last one. You could spend forever in the book of Revelation, and I don't know if it would do a whole lot of good other than create an enormous amount of anxiety. So I've restricted five weeks to the book of Revelation. The best being the last today, because chapter 21 and chapter 22 are really exciting chapters. Exciting chapters, and yet chapters that I think in some ways leave me, anyway, a bit of heaviness. 
It's the reality that this world is not our final destination. We are here for a time. There is a final destination. And the sad part is I just wish, I just desire that all would come to Christ. That all would serve Jesus. But Jesus himself would say in the Gospels that uh, narrows the road that leads to heaven. Not that people are exempt from it, but many will choose to turn away from God. And they don't choose it out of ignorance. There's nobody who ever will pass from this world who out of ignorance would ever be condemned to hell. It will be a choice to deny God. Whether they hear the full gospel in its entirety, as many of us have and will, or they have understood God from his great works of creation. Romans talks about just in creation alone, you can learn enough of God to know there's a creator and that you need to serve him. There's enough in that alone without having to know even the name Jesus, but to know there's a creator by which you serve. We will deny him. And I used to believe when I started out in ministry when I was 21 years old, a few years ago, I used to believe that everyone, if they just heard a convincing gospel message, would turn to Jesus. I was pretty naive. I used to believe that if you just, if you just listen to me, you'll turn to Jesus. And I discovered that's just not true. Many hearts have been turned, and there is much deception. This uh, last chapter, Revelation chapter 22, I want to pick it up, verse 17. This will be the theme for today. Verse 17, the Spirit and the bride say, come. We could even put Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and the bride, we can put bride and the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit and the body of Christ say, come. And let the one who hears, Jesus would over and over say, those who have ears to hear, hear. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, do you hunger and thirst? Come. And let the one who wishes, desires to take the free gift, it's free, of the water of life. The title of what I want to share today, the last day, is the Spirit and the Bride. Say, come. Father in heaven, we desire that you would help us to not simply rehash, help us to learn, help us to discern, help us to apply with wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. The last mention of the Holy Spirit in scriptures is found in this verse. And then you hear of the Holy Spirit no more. Verse 17, the Holy Spirit and the bride, the bride, the church, the body of Christ, those who've gone before us, those of you today who are followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit and us, we cry out, come. Isn't that what we do? We ought to. We cry out, come. Come. There's nothing holding back. Come. What are you waiting for? Come. You're waiting for tomorrow? Might not come. 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 For all who hear, come. For all who are thirsty and hungry, come. Let the one who longs to be saved, one who desires purpose, come. The invitation is come. That's the message of the Bible.
We can sum it up in chapter 22, 17. Come, it's freely offered. You can't do a thing to deserve it or earn it. It's already been done. Come. The Holy Spirit says, come. It's the testimony. Come. As we come to this last chapter, I want us to look at three truths and three destinies. Three truths, first of all, from this final chapter. Truth number one, found in Revelation 22, verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Truth number one, I am God. These are foundational truths as we get to the end here. Foundational truth, I am. He's saying before things were, before Genesis 1-1, I was. I was in existence. God did not create himself. I was from the beginning. I am beyond all things. I precede all. I was, will be, have been, and will forever. And I exceed everything. So how do you describe a being like that? You describe a being like that by saying he's the I am. I am always. I am. Two words, I am. We put the words in capital, I am, because he is the all-sufficient one. And so the first truth, it's a foundational, foundational, essential truth to the faith. He is the great I am. He described that when in Genesis, in the early part, the beginning, out of him came creation. We saw that in the creation of Adam and Eve and then into Cain and Abel, into the generations that would follow from Seth right on down to Noah, on down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am. Down to Moses where the bush burnt and Moses went and stood there and he says, I am. And Moses understood what that meant. He was, is, forever will be beyond outside dimensions. We will never understand the height or depth or width our minds cannot fathom it because our minds are created finite. He's outside that. He's the creator. He's God. He's the sovereign. I am. Right on down through the judges and the prophets and the priests and the kings and into the New Testament where the I am demonstrated himself as Emmanuel, God with us. I have come to abide with you. And then through Jesus, his spirit abides Everything, a part of him now lives in those who receive him. I am. I am. And I will never leave you, never forsake you. When we were born, we were born eternal beings. I am. The second truth. Verse 16, chapter 22. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. Second thing I want to draw your attention to is the Word of God is complete. We see it in 66 books. That's how we've aligned up the books. But the Word of God, I mean, scriptures weren't given like Genesis and then it went into Exodus. They were compiled as God inspired the writers and then compiled and tested as the canon, beginning and closed canon of scripture. He says, this is my testimony for you, for the churches, for the body of Christ, for those who are followers. 
I testify to myself in this. It's God's book. It's his word on the matter. Revelation 22, verse 18, he says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in the book. So, okay, let's just say this. You don't want to add anything. (laughs) Then he continues, and if anyone takes words away from the book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share of the tree of life. In other words, scriptures are not to be dabbled with. Something that I think is probably the most important course I took in Bible college that was called hermeneutics. At the time, I actually didn't like the course. It was really hard. There was a, the teacher was really hard. But I think it was one of the most important courses. What's hermeneutics? The proper handling of the Word of God. There's a lot of mishandling of God's Word today. And has been over the ages. It's not new. We need to correctly handle God's Word. The Bible says it's like a double-edged sword. We need to correctly handle God's Word. You just don't... Give a sword, a sharp sword to a little child. You just don't give it to somebody who just wants to swing it around. You better handle a sharp sword very, very carefully. It's a double-edged sword. It can hurt you quickly. We need to handle God's word very meticulously. Be careful you don't add anything to it. Don't add your stuff. Don't add new ageism to it. Don't add humanistic philosophy to it. Don't add what you want. Don't put religions together and put it into the word and say, this is the word of God. Be careful, be careful, be careful. If you add to it, if you add to it, you'll be judged. And don't take away from it. Don't dilute it. Don't conveniently step away from some of it and say, I don't know, I'm not comfortable with that, but I'll hang on to this. Don't twist it. Don't take it out of context. So how do you handle the word? Well, there's some fundamentals in hermeneutics I learned early. Every scripture you read, understand it in the context it was written. It's easy to take a verse that was never meant to be in the context of what you're trying to apply it to be. What was the writer trying to say? Put it into the context and don't make it what it wasn't. Be careful. Make it for what it really was. It's like if you listened to my sermon today and if you got it in transcript and you pulled out one of my sentences, you could make it to mean something I was not trying to say. You have to put my sentence into the context of what I was saying. Media people do this all the time. They pull it out and they make something where it really wasn't. But that's not for us to do when it comes to the Word of God. It needs to be in the context it was written. What was the writer trying to say? Secondly, was the writer saying, is that what was meaning in that time? And is that meaning consistent for all the meanings? So if it was something that was simply meant for that moment, then you can't just move it to every situation. Was it meant to be a timeless situation? In other words, when the New Testament came, did they continue to hold to that particular word? You have to apply it into its proper meaning of what it was intended to mean. And don't take it out. Don't add to it. Don't twist it. It's easy to do. We do it all the time. Be careful. Be careful. That's the second truth I want to share. The Word of God is now complete. Thirdly, third truth, verse 17. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever's thirsty, come. Whoever wishes or desires, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Number three, God's invitation is to all 
who will come. There's no end to what you can drink of the heavenly well. To all who will come. Not all of us are child of God, children of God. We're all created by God. But not everybody has come under the relationship of a heavenly father and his son and his daughter. But the invitation is open. The invitation is wide. Come. Come. Come to the well. If you're thirsty, if you're hungry, if you desire, come. I want to suggest there's a lot of people who are searching. Otherwise, we would not have such horrific substance abuse today. Substance abuse is evidence of escapism, deadening pain, seeking a way out. We wouldn't have such a rise of that if it weren't people searching for something. We wouldn't have such a rise of psychic and all the things that go with trying to understand our future and trying to listen to the dead and, and all that kind of stuff taking place if it weren't a hunger. It's misplaced hunger. We wouldn't have such rise of world religions if we weren't searching for answers. There's a hunger for God. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, would say, there's a hole in the heart of every individual that's the perfect size for God to fill. There's one God, one creator, one Lord. Come. The invitation, point, truth number three, truth number three, God's invitation is for all, old, young, every race, every tribe. Come. No person exempt. But praise God, that excites me to no end. It also puts a weight on my shoulders. God, I'm a part of those who need to bring the in. How will they know, Romans says, how will they know if somebody doesn't tell them? And how will somebody tell them if somebody doesn't go? And how will they go if they're not sent? And so that's my job. <laughs> go tell them. Share your faith with those you work with, your family. Share your faith with the person that you cross sector with. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about your story. Share about the life-giving Christ in you. Because there are those who you may, and some of them are the most non-evidential people. They're the ones you think they got it all together. And then when you begin to just share something of your faith and your journey in Christ, you realize they're part of those who are thirsty. God may, somebody, if they deny you, may they have to do it over me. In other words, I will do everything in my power to, de to describe Christ to them and his goodness and his love and his mercy and his glory. And if they deny you, they deny you. But not because I didn't do something about it. They have to go over me if they're going to deny you. I heard somebody once say that if somebody denies Christ and goes to hell, may it be through our tears and not through any sense of any joy or accolation that we have arrived, God forbid. That's not a child of God. God's invitation is to all who will come drink of the heavenly well. Praise God. The reference takes us back to Revelation 21, 17. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb's book of life. It speaks of an inscription of names. My name is there. Many of those who are here this morning, your name is there. It's been written in the Lamb's book of life. And that is to each person who hears, who's thirsty, who desires salvation and opens their heart and receives. To them, their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Three truths. Three destinies summarize the book of Revelation. Let me talk about the three destinies now. 
Destiny number one is the destiny of this world. The destiny of this world. Revelation 18, 21, follow with me. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. Verse 22. The music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeters, will never be heard in you again. It will stop. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard. In other words, all work and all music will stop. Will stop. These words speak of our world and the destiny of this world. Verse 22, the first part, it says, the music of harpists, musicians, flute players, trumpeters will never be heard in you again. In other words, the things that have been points of jubilation, the things that have been points of creativity won't be anymore because there's no reason to play. Music will all stop. Be no jubilation. Then the last part of verse 22, no workman or any trade will be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. And on and on and on. No more work, no more toil, no more activities will stop. So you couple that with no celebrations, not even bridal parties. They will all stop. They will cease. You know, for those who are not in Christ, who deny the Lord, and their final destination of eternal damnation, of hell. I've heard the most ridiculous statement, I think, ever said. Is, well, if I go to hell, I'll be with my friends and I'll party. Is the most absolutely ridiculous statement I've ever heard. There is no partying there. There is no celebration. When you go from Revelation chapter 13 through to Revelation chapter 20, you will see what the destruction, what the destruction of everything that Satan has touched will be destroyed. His domain will be collapsed from chapter 13 to chapter 20 of Revelation. Our present world will come to an end. Secondly, God says in the testimony, he says, let's talk about the eternal city, the good news Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. I don't know if you've ever heard the great hallelujah chorus. The great hallelujah chorus. It comes from verse 6 right here. Then I heard what sound like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. The Hallelujah chorus, if you remember the great refrain in the chorus, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The great refrain of the Hallelujah chorus. I'm going to come back to the eternal city in a minute. Let's just pause that. I want to continue, though, talking about... What's exempt from heaven? What doesn't make heaven? What can't get in? We go to Revelations 22, 14 and 15. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Those are, those are the ones that get there. But outside are the dogs, 
These are the ones that are exempt. Are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Exempt. Let's break it down, can we? Dogs. Oh, my cute little pooch, you won't make heaven. That's not what it's talking about. Isn't there a movie out there somewhere that I saw years ago, All Dogs Go to Heaven? Okay, I'm not saying, I don't necessarily think that's inspired. Kind of, I know some dogs who should never make heaven. I don't know, there's some, my neighbor's dog should never make heaven. I'm just telling you. That dog, I've wished to go different places, late at night, and it's not heaven. Okay, sorry about that. I just had to sidestep that. So what are we talking? Why would God refer the first thing to dogs? Well, this has to do with the inclination of people who reject God's divine order and God's divine truth, his purpose for humanity, by insisting on their animal heritage and yielding to and arguing for Simply, we are animals with instinct. Have we simply developed from a form of an amoeba? That's what he's talking about. Are we just higher up on the evolutionary ladder of animals? What we're taught. In such a culture, our instinctive animal desires run us. Kind of describes it, doesn't it? And we're reduced to basic yieldings of animal instinct. That's not God's children. That's the philosophy, the purposes of a lost world. God did not create us alongside of every animal. Read Genesis. He created us. He breathed into us his spirit. In the likeness and image of him. And soul was breathed into man. And we have eternal. We have the ability with our intellect to make choices. We have the ability, not instincts, choices. Animals have instincts. We have the ability to choose with will to will yes or to will no. But that is a choice, not based on instinct. Based on a moral direction, a compass that points one way, but a choice to go whatever way you choose. A choice given to mankind. We have emotions that range from all over. The, all over. That is unique to the image and likeness of God. So when he says the first ones, when he says the dogs, he's relating to those who insist we are but animals and we are not made in the image of God. And if you insist on that, if that's all you are, then you do not have eternal life because you will not choose life. You will simply have animal instincts to die and nothing more. We're just developed forms of the amoeba. We are not a part, beloved, of an animal kingdom. You and I have been uniquely fashioned in the image and likeness of God. Oh, it's so wonderful to read Psalms 139 again through the verses how he has formed us in the womb and planned us. So wonderful to read Ephesians 1, 2, 
3, 4, to read Colossians 1 and 2, to go to Galatians. Who has bewitched you, Paul said to the Galatian church? Who has caused you to go back to the animal form? Why, when you've been created to be so much more, why do you divulge back again? We have so much evidence. There is so much testifying to the truth of Christ. If you deny it, you've got to walk over it to deny it. It's not by ignorance you will deny it. You will deny it by choice. We're not created just as animals. He says the dogs don't get there. Now, we're going to talk about animals in heaven in a second, so don't get done. We're talking... If that's all you are, just a part of the form of the ladder, then you will never embrace that you are a son or a daughter of God. He says, those who practice magic arts. This actually derives from our translated word, interestingly enough, pharmacy. Actually comes from the word pharmacy. It is the toxicity of what we call substance abuse. This is the term we use for ingesting or partaking of things that we know full well, well, listen to this, will alter our state of consciousness or provide some means of escape from our responsibilities or real humanity. In other words, it's where we have taken substance for the purpose, ingesting or partaking, Knowing full well it will alter our conscience and provide a means of escape from our responsibilities. If you remember the story in the New Testament of Jesus when he distributed the talents, the story of the talents. The one who did nothing, the one who did nothing, what they did is simply escape from their responsibility. What was the response of the king? You wicked servant. Hell is your eternal place. You wicked servant. You think, well, that's just neglect. They just neglected to invest. No, no, no. They tried to escape their responsibility. We all have a responsibility. As children of God made in his image, we all have a responsibility. I and mean, if you abdicate that responsibility, and so in substance abuse, and drinking, and, and substance abuse, drugs, and, and all the stuff, you can begin, it's pulling us back so we go into this sedated state that either is escapism or it simply keeps us from being responsible, and God's called you to be responsible. He's called me to be responsible. I've got a task to do, and if I simply deny it and escape, go into this lethargic bliss so I don't have to face the world around me. You know, sometimes sometimes we need, sometimes the heaviness and the burden we have is meant to be heaviness and burden so that we would reach out to those who are in need. But if I simply move and hibernate in a state of escapism, then who will tell them? Who will reach out to them? Who will love them? Who will be responsible for those around us? And that is one of the greatest. It's the neglect. It's the abdicating of my responsibility. Those will not. The magic, it says, practice magic arts. It doesn't mean that you're incanting spells. It is a part of that. But it's way more than that. It's the drugs and substance that that brings down your responsibility to do what God has called you to do. When you do that, it says they are exempt. Sexually immoral. This is not refined only to the compulsive sexual addict, but even isolated instances of sexual disobedience. It's a serious matter. Um, 
severe implications, our sexuality, because our sexuality points to our identity. And we need to have a sure foundation of our identity, and the enemy of our soul has done a lot to blur it. The sexually immoral have a habitual commitment to breaking the bonds of what is God's divine order in human personality. In other words, they have the casual attitude of gratifying themselves at the expense of shattering someone else's humanity. The sexually immoral, they shatter someone else's humanity for self-gratification. And they'll do everything to make it happen. And so when you step outside God's plans for creating one man and one woman with covenant relationship, outside of that flows the self-gratification, sexually immoral. That's the, the bondage is deep, the destiny is horrible because you've lost your humanity and your identity in that that God gave you. Murders are next on the list. Now remember, according to Scripture, this has to do with more than simply taking a life at gunpoint or a knife. Being ruled by anger and hatred. Jesus would say that. Being ruled by anger and hatred. Because, and we talked about this in our Cornerstone School of Ministry just a couple of weeks, a couple of sessions ago. Because of set words that flow out of my anger and bitterness and hatred, my words have the ability to cut someone off at the knees and hinder their ability to progress in life. There are those that have been limited to despair and hurt and wounds and brokenness because of others' anger and hatred towards them, stabbing them and cutting short their plan for God. Words are so important to bless, to encourage, to build up, to admonish, to comfort. It is so important, not just in heart, but in words and in demonstration. But when my words flowing out of anger and retribution to someone else and judgment and retaliation and revenge, hurting and wounding, we stop the flow of life in that person's life, maybe unto eternal life. That is serious. We know that. But it's serious business. Yes, words do matter. My attitude towards others matter. It matters a lot. Murderers don't make it in. Not just those who physically kill, but who have killed the heart of others. Wow. Idolaters. They substitute the artificial for the eternal. Idolaters enshrine the carnal over the spiritual. They bow before the God of selfish indulgence, before the God of me and mine. They bow before that. We're not talking who you create this thing and you bow before it. We're beyond that. That's some cultures. But we're be, we understand idolatry is when you place anything before God. And everyone who loves and practices falsehood. We truly do live in a time that trivializes the lies. White lies, blue lies, green lies, purple lies. How many different lies are there? There's lying. There's lying. There's mistruth, half-truths, twisted truth. But they're lies. The truth is not found in it. Truth needs to be pure by definition. And when it's mixed up, then it's no longer pure truth. It's a lie. It's deception. Everyone who loves and practices falsehood has to do with the lifestyle that rejects, consciously rejects truth. It's purposeful deception. 
And it's here the tongue cannot be trusted because the heart has become habitually committed to self-preservation. Therefore, they lie. Lies. The truth is so important. God, right from the beginning, he is truth. And when we depart from truth, we depart from him. Exempted. Wow, that's a big list. Kind of a depressing list in some ways. Dogs, practicing arts, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. The third destination is the lake of fire. The lake of fire. And Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, let's follow it. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. First death, physical death. Second death, lake of fire. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We will all stand before, all of us, all of us, every person, every human, will stand before God as the just judge. He's our maker. We all stand before him. There are those who will inherit heaven. There are those that will be sentenced to hell. Um, talking about hell is not considered fashionable anymore. Have you noticed? You've not heard too many messages come from me from hell. From hell, hopefully never from hell. But about hell. Um, used to be a lot more talked about. Following World War II, some people really said we, we kind of lived through hell on earth. And it was talked about a lot more prevalent. Realizing how anger can be played out in humanity was very real in the generation of my parents and grandparents who saw it firsthand. I was visiting a dear friend of us. We did the funeral for her husband who died just in his 81st year, just three weeks ago. When I visited her in her home, she's in her 80s, we visited her in her home. She's a survivor. Uh, she was born in England. She's a survivor of the, the Blitz of England. She could tell stories of hiding in shelters, feeling like earthquakes, bombs going off as the Blitz over England was taking place, over, over London was taking place. She remembers it as a child. She had this big fat book on the table. <laughs> we know her well. We know her well. She never hesitates to give me books. And the book was in, the book's name was Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who uh, was killed in 1945 for his faith. Uh, professor, teacher, writer, spokesperson killed by Hitler. And it's biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm about just coming up to halfway through it now. It's quite a revelation, quite a revelation. I'm reading it's deep. I'm not even convinced she read it all. <laughs> but uh, she wanted me to read it. She wanted me to understand what the times can look like when you stand up for your faith. Dietrich stood for his faith. And when he stood for his faith, and what really, and he would die for it. 
What really stood out to me is the church in the early part of the 1930s, the church, many of the church were undiscerning and did not see evil for evil. They simply heard what someone was saying and they didn't seek God as to what the truth was until it was too late. And my prayer has come out of that. God, may we simply not hear what we want to hear. May we have discernment in our day. We need to go to you, God, and find out what is your will, not just what we're hearing or want to be. Sometimes we have been pressed. We hear things that aren't really there. And if we get discernment, we'll realize what they were. I recommend a book if you come to hell because often we think of hell and preachers that preach hell are those great big pot-bellied preachers that smack the pulpit, frothing at the mouth, eyes ablaze, screaming into the microphone about hell. And, um, and that's, that's not the case of this at all. Um, I mean, Jesus was the one. Jesus who was loving, patient, wonderful, merciful, compassionate, caring, kind. No one like Jesus. He's the one who told us what hell's like. It didn't come from some crazy guy. It came from Jesus himself who described hell. It's not very popular to talk about it. I've received more um, uh, challenges when I talk about hell than any other subject. And uh, uh, even, even here here Cornerstone, four years ago, we brought in a drama called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. A number of adults uh, boycotted that we don't need to talk about hell. And yet there's more talk about hell than heaven. Because it's not that we need to be scared. I'm not scared, are you? Why would I be scared? But there's a reality, we call it behavior has consequence. And we prefer not to address it. And in a time of liberalization, we want to say there's no such thing. I've sat across the table of ministers who literally, in anger, you can see the spit coming out of their mouth, bemoaned me even suggesting there is a real place called hell. These were ministers. There's a good book if you want to grab something. It's fairly relevant by Francis Chan. I like Francis Chan. Written by Francis Chan and Preston Sprinkle. It's called Erasing Hell. What God Said About Eternity and the Things We've Made Up. Kind of a relevant take on it and invite you to get that book and read it or listen to it. Um, Revelation 21.5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. The old order will be gone and remembered no more. Now I want you to hear that. Gone and remembered no more. You see, tears cause pain, mourning and death. Bible says will be erased. So I want you to grab a hold of something. Job chapter 24, 20 says it. The womb forgets them. The worm feasts on them. Evil men are no longer remembered. Somebody says, well, I die, go to hell. Remember me in heaven. Sorry, we will not even know you were born. The womb remembers them no more. Sons and daughters, grandchildren, who go to hell, we won't know they existed. Otherwise, we would live with pain. We'll remember them no more. Isn't that the saddest thing? That just breaks my heart. Right now it breaks my heart. <laughs> then I won't remember. But on the other hand, Psalms 112.6 says, A righteous man will be remembered forever. 
forever and forever. Let me go back to the eternal city. <laughs> we need some good news before we finish today. Pastor, you're making me feel gloom. Here we go. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face because there's an old song, heaven is a wonderful, heaven is a glorious, heaven is a wonderful place. And then at the end it says, I want to go there. All the kids showed up. Okay, I had a superintendent, Sunday school superintendent, my first church, Every Sunday he's saying, heaven is a wonderful place, filled with glory. And he would, and he would jiggle up the front. The only time I ever saw big German man, never thought he had the moves. And he would just get excited about heaven. And, uh, and, and then at the end, all of us were to shout, I want to go there. And, and here we are, you know, almost 40 years later, the song has stuck. Heaven is a wonderful place. What is heaven like? Well, I want to tell you, first of all, what's not in heaven. What's not in heaven, first of all, sad emotions are not found in heaven. Verse 4 of chapter 21, Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Praise God. No tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, no sad emotions found in heaven. Secondly, bad behavior won't be found in heaven. I say praise God to that one. Verse 27, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, no dirty minds, no vulgar mouths, no dirty deeds, no lies, deceit, falsities. Churches, temples, synagogues are not in heaven. Ah, you won't get to pick what church to go to there. There are no churches in heaven. Verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. Our Heavenly Father and His Son are the temple. Well, there's no church, synagogue to go to. There's no sun. There's no moon in heaven. Verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. It's prior to Genesis 1.1 when he created the heavens and the earth. God himself is light. There's no more nighttime in heaven. Verse 25, no day, uh, on no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. Only daytime in heaven for God's glory cannot be extinguished. Remember his glory shines, cannot be extinguished. Verse 20, chap, chapter 22, verse 3, there is no curse in heaven. Verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. No curse. We will not be subject to the laws of physics in heaven. John chapter 20, 26 gives us evidence of this. What do you mean? Well, if you remember when Jesus went to heaven, He came back. He visited the disciples. Remember the disciples? Uh, John, this is again, John 20, 26 tells the story. His disciples were together. They were inside, and they locked the doors. Thomas was with them. Thomas had not seen Jesus yet. And the next thing, Jesus, although the door was locked and shut, Jesus came through and was present. The laws of physics are not in heaven. We find Jesus walking through walls, locked doors to reach his disciples. Another thing regarding heaven. We will no longer sin in heaven. Philippians 1.16, just to use one, says, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it in until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, at the day of Jesus Christ, the work is complete. Complete, no more sin. 
So what will heaven be like? Well, we will eat and drink in heaven. Praise God. I'm really glad I can eat in heaven. <laughs> I like eating. Luke 24 tells us that following Jesus' resurrection, Jesus ate with them. We can follow that as an example. There's eating. Okay, for those of you who are animal lovers, are you ready? There will be animals in heaven. I know. I don't know what to think about this. Isaiah talks about the wolf and the lamb. Isaiah talks about the leopard and calf, the young lion, the cow, the bear in heaven. John in Revelation talks of horses in heaven. So we have to conclude there's animals in heaven. We will recognize one another in heaven. Matthew 17 speaks of the story of the transfiguration where Moses and Elijah comes back and they could recognize one another. We can recognize one another in heaven. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Let me just say this, the most wonderful thing. Although these are all good, the best thing about heaven is Revelation 22, 4. And we shall see him. <laughs> and we shall see him face to face. All the others are okay, but that's the best. We shall behold him. We shall behold the maker of the universe face to face. That is absolutely by far, it will outshine everything else that heaven could ever be. We talk of streets of gold and this and that. It will be dim compared to when we behold our Lord in heaven. Everything else pales in comparison. If all the other is not there, we can't have Jesus missing. We will see him face to face. And so the invitation, verse 27, says that only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life may come into heaven. I want to close with an illustration. The illustration uh, is kind of dear to me with uh, our church's relationship to Cuba. This illustration, uh, I, I heard this illustration, December 1992 in Cuba, where the dictatorial uh, government there was, um, the regime was, People were being killed. And there was Ortez Perez, a Cuban defector, was able to fly out of Cuba. He was able to defect, either defect or be killed. He flew to America. And it was December 1992. And just as he was leaving, he could not take his wife, he could not take his children with him. But he told his wife, Victoria, he said, would you wait for me patiently, I'm coming back. I'll come back and get you. I can't. He had to get out. I have to leave. I'll come back and get you. Wait patiently. Time passed. And he did come back. And when she saw the plane, the plane landed on the tarmac and she was taking the kids to likewise immigrate to the United States. She shouted to her young children, there's your father. And she grabbed her children and she began to run, toward, to run towards the plane. As they were running towards the plane, one of the kids lost their shoe. They wanted to turn around to grab the shoe, and she said, forget the shoe. Father is waiting on the plane. 
after all these years of separation, after the dream of being able to get free was coming true, <laughs> forget the shoe. And you know, sometimes in this world, we're so busy going back for the shoe. We're going back for the things. And the Lord, I believe, would say, forget the shoe. It's not, it's not people. It's not forget people. But the dream will come true. The dream will come true. There's a song that I love singing. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. You know the song? So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Forget the shoe. Forget the shoe. We're going to the land of freedom. It's our dream come true. I implore you to make heaven your destination. To make eternity real, your destination. We have a choice. We will go somewhere. It's not by not making a choice that you've chosen. You've, well, you have chosen. You've made a choice. So I invite you to make heaven a longing of your heart that we shall see the King. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.